Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Aren't you? Uh-huh. No, I am. And that's why I'm not going to miss a single golden minute of pre-show banter. <laughs> Solid gold, baby. Not like last week, you 
bet your sweet honey took us. We had a good like 10 minutes. Of- I know. And I missed every second of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And the rest of the show was for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing good out of that at all. Uh, crappy movie about some French comic director. <laughs> what will these people think of next? Uh, do you have all your Do you have all your tabs open? Uh, I, I'm getting them open. They're happening. What was the uh, What was the fantastic? Uh, it was the SNL Natalie Portman bit. Remember that video, Natalie raps. I do not. What? Don't uh, have any idea what you're talking what? about. What? Oh man, this is. Epic. No, I'm not kidding. Uh, hang tight. I got it. It's It was an SNL digital short. And uh, you know those things tend to be awesome all the way around. And in this case, it was an interview with Natalie Portman. I think it was right after she did the, the first, uh, the first uh, Star Wars thing. And she came out. It was, it was in the same era, same season as the uh, beep in a box. Oh sure, sure. Yeah, so they were. It was. Uh, it was great. I just. Uh, I just put it in the magic, the magic box for you there, so you can watch it. It's. We will definitely put this in the show show notes because I think this is. It's possibly Natalie Portman's best work. <laughs> no, that's that's awful that I said that, but it's oh, still it's... great. Okay, so what do we have? Let's first of all uh, tell me uh, where people where you'd like people to find you. People can find me at Soda Creek Film on Twitter and over at Facebook at Soda Creek Film and, of course, uh, Facebook uh, on the Movies We Like page and Rashpixel.tv. Excellent. Rashpixel.tv and uh, at Pete Wright for Twitter. I am uh, Facebook.com slash Pete Wright, uh, but obviously the Movies We Like page at Facebook is a great place to find either of us. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the show in iTunes. Still the best way to find the show and subscribe to it. Make sure you don't miss a single week of movie goodness uh, from me, you know, yours truly and the kindly uh, Dr. Nelson. Uh, Doc, we, doctor of something. Yeah, you're a doctor, as <laughs> you sure are. Uh, so um, that there we go. There's the updates. Uh, we are, what do we, we, should we talk about some trailers? We should, yeah. Um, uh, what do you want to start with? I was just seconds ago we discussed this. And I've already forgotten. Did we you? Had a, we had a slew of, there... of ones that we were debating if we ever talked about on the show before. I, I can't actually remember if we've talked about them, so we should we should likely talk about them again. Um, we, we can do just quick, like you know, quick blurbs. Yes. Of our thoughts, just in case we've covered it before. <laughs> we're not tiring our listeners out. Exactly. No, that's exactly right. I am still excited then about now you see me. I'm very excited about Now You See Me. Yes. I mean, right? That's that's one that just seems to be, uh, well, it's it's likely going to be kicking kicking us off or anchoring an, another series uh, or, or two new series. It is a both a magic series and a heist series for Definitely. us. Great heist movies. This, it'll this be, looks it'll, like... Yeah, it'll be, great to lin- it'll be a great linchpin between the two. Yes. Linchpin. Is what now you see me is. Uh, what what do we know about now you see me? I don't know, but all I can say is they have a perfect setup for a sequel. Now you don't. <laughs> <laughs> they sure do. You know what? I know what's funny. I didn't even get that. Like I. <laughs> <laughs> Movie is directed by Louis Leterrier. Uh, writers uh, Ed Solomon and Boaz Yakin. Yakin, is that true? It's good that uh, Lewis is able to direct again after the debacle with uh, the Incredible Hulk. Well, now, okay. Well, you can't really pin it on him. No, I. <laughs> this is what I was going to say, and and you know there is, okay. So we've got a lot of Hulk issues, and I think he was part of the universe of Hulk issues, or it's just the universe of of the studio and. The IP holders not quite knowing how to handle the Hulk in in uh, in cinema. And I think they finally figured it out with the Avengers. That's my take on it. But it took them two movies to get there, and he was just part of it. He was just a guy adding to the body of knowledge. That's yeah. what I feel like. Yeah, I don't. I actually quite liked that uh, that movie. Uh, Leteria was responsible for the uh, Edward Norton 
Incredible Hulk. And I really liked how they handled uh, Edward Norton and Tim Roth. It was unfortunate that Liv Tyler was in the movie. I, I don't think she, I think she was not the, the right. But I loved the effects. I loved uh, I, like I really quite enjoyed uh, that movie. And I think you are you're you're a little bit mean spirited to bring it up. No, no, no. I, I'm saying that only because it got such flack. I actually quite enjoyed it as well, completely not expecting to. Yeah. But it was, um, it, you know, there's a lot of issues with the studio, and and uh, I know uh, Edward Norton is a different, especially when he's on board. I, I think, I don't know if he was on board that one as a, like a, you know, a producer of some sort mm-hmm. as well. But I know, you know, his involvement in projects can lead to a lot of uh, arguments. Yeah. And so I don't know if that was the cause or... Um, decisions that he was making with Lewis that ended up, you know, causing issues or what. I just know that it was it had quite a number of p- production issues when they were making that one. Well, and what what is actually I think uh, potentially interesting is that we've got Lewis Leteria and now you see me uh, directing um, Mark Ruffalo. Did you see how I did that? Oh, uh, Mark Ruffalo who played the Hulk in the I, I think probably the best uh, uh, version of the Hulk in the recent Avengers. Hopefully they do a spinoff with him as Bruce Banner. Um, do you think his Do you think his next one will have Eric Bana? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The great Australian comic, better known for his role as uh, what was it, uh, Bruce, the shark, in Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to Bruce Banner. He, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're talking about Bruce Banner. Uh, yes. Uh, so I, this, uh, now you see me, uh, FBI, <laughs> FBI agents track a team of illusionists who pull off bank heists during their performances and reward their audiences with the money. So this also may anchor a Robin Hood themed, uh, series of us, all movies that are, uh, do gooder. Uh, rob the rich, give to the poor movies. And call it the 9947. <laughs> the 9947 series. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm very excited about this movie. Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Ruffalo, and Michael Caine uh, in in this film, uh, along with, um, let's see, who's the, oh, Morgan Freeman. There you go. That guy's everywhere. It's like Christopher Nolan just dumped his cast onto this. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to have a, totally a good did. Michael Caine sniveling scene. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Caine. This is it's got a great cast. Look at this. I mean, it's we've got uh, Woody Harrelson, uh Melanie Laurent, Elias Codias, Common. Right? There you go. I'm in. Yeah. No, it, I, it looks I'm very, really good. I'm sure. very excited about this film. So that's that's the one I'm I'm stoked about. What about you? You want to see beautiful creatures. I know you're excited about that. <laughs> you know, Richard Legravenace is directing it. So I, I gotta hope that there's something in it. I don't know. It's it's a w- weird witch twilight sort of movie, and it probably isn't worth <laughs> my time. Uh, but because Richard Legravenace is directing, he wrote uh, The Fisher King, which I just absolutely love. I know. And he's, he's written and directed a great number of other films, and uh, some of which I definitely don't like, and some of which I do. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I'm but the trailer looks fun. And, you know, Emma Thompson, Jeremy Irons, it's got a pretty good cast. I know. It really has a good cast. I, I think, um, you know, when you first watch the trailer, you're, I, I just can't shake the feeling that I have seen this movie before every season since the launch of the CW network. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of, uh, you know, I, and maybe there's there's a reason for that. I, You know, there's certainly an audience for it. I think Twilight has certainly shown that, but... Uh, Twilight and the Hunger Games, and this is sort of in that vein, and and um, so you know, yep, I'm I'm sure it'll hit the hit the screen at some point uh, over at our place. I'm not sure if I'm going to rush out for the uh, the IMAX 3D version of it, but yeah, it'll be a Netflixer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you're really excited about? Right well, now? you know, Melissa I... McCarthy does make me laugh, and she's got oh, two yeah. movies coming out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So the first one was that that uh, we. Uh, we're talking about was heat the or heat, the heat, right. the heat right, the, right with uh, uh with sandra bullock and uh, uh melissa mccarthy as uh as a agent and a detective uh trying to track down a drug lord and it looks pretty funny it looks pretty funny it does it's a it's definitely a mood movie <laughs> uh, but it looks very, very funny. And that the second one, the, the sort that she's, I don't know, man, she's everywhere. She is totally Morgan Freeman. Yep. Uh, all of a sudden is um, uh, 
identity thief. identity thief with, yeah. with um, Jason Bateman, yep. who should another, totally another... go on our list of pe- best friends who haven't known us yet. That's what I was totally going to uh, say. Huh. Yep. I'm I'd put Melissa McCarthy on that list too because I I bet she'd be she'd make any party better. Totally true. Yeah. I'll bet she's she might be a total downer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you think? <laughs> like she just sits in the corner with punch <laughs> and and a doll that she carries everywhere. And then she just talks to the <laughs> of doll. A dragon and she just talks to the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Please give me confidence. <laughs> but you turn the camera on and boom, she's everywhere. She's alive. Uh, we do need to talk about warm heart, warm bodies, cold body, <laughs> cold body, warm heart. <laughs> Whatever that zombie movie's called. <laughs> uh, I'm excited I about knew, this. I knew that this is one that you'd want to talk about uh, one of oh. these days. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I this is okay so you've got to have uh eventually another I mean you've got to build out the sort of genre of comedy um you know comedy adventurous comedy zombie films. Yeah. There there just aren't enough of those after Shaun of the Dead and and uh, so this looks like one that uh, where the twist is the uh, uh it looks like the the protagonist zombie uh <laughs> can actually rehabilitate it's it's another rom zom com. It's a rom zom com. That's from the so point right. of the view of the zombie falling That's in love so again. Right. <laughs> I am. I'm very excited about this movie. Um, it it totally surprised me. I I didn't see it coming. It looks like it hits February, uh, early February. And it's one of those ones where it's like, okay, since so since the zombies aren't necessarily bad guys now, now we have to have extra bad zombie creatures. Yeah. To be the bad guys. <laughs> yes. There is actually a villain class among zombies. That's right. That's right. Uh, so very excited yeah. about this. Uh, so that's coming soon. Um, interesting documentary. Have you seen the trailer for Celebrity? I haven't. I haven't. Uh, seen. It's a um, celebrity photographer. Kevin Mazur gives an all-access pass to life behind the velvet rope and in front of the camera. And you know it's going to be good because the S in Celebrity is a dollar sign. <laughs> so you know it's going to be good, or another way for them to make even more money. Yeah. It actually, you know, it's just uh, it, it you sort of get torn between looking at the behind the scenes of the Velvet Rope Club uh, mm-hmm. versus wow, everybody's complaining about paparazzi again. It's so <laughs> hard to be rich and famous. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm going to reserve judgment, but I'm going in a little bit bitter. I, I see that. Yeah. I I can tell. So we got some good trailers for the week. You got to check these out. Click on yes. those links. Check out those trailers. Lots and lots of good stuff. Good stuff. What are we talking about this week? Do you even remember? Did you watch we're, the movie? Yeah. You know, we're we're plowing through this uh, Luc Besson series with uh, the next in our series, <laughs> Leon. <laughs> we're plowing through it. We can't get through it fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> Like a snowplow, <laughs> I'm making my way through it so I can get from here to there. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. It is terrible. All right. <laughs> I am very excited to hear you talk about this movie. Uh, and first of all, our, what mo- version did you watch? I watched the extended edition. Okay. The longer version, the international cut, whatever you want to call it. Although I guess it's not really the director's cut. He said the shorter version is the director's cut. Right. He says the, the longer version is the long version. <laughs> he coined that he so well. He coined that term. There must be a, a lo- it must be lost in translation. Uh, I you know, I think it is. In French it's really quite beautiful. <laughs> uh so this, we, we love we love France. I so Let here, all the listeners know. <laughs> we do. We do. It's we've even coined a fil- a term of art uh in French in our glossary. You should go check it out see if you can pick it out. It's actually in French. That's true. Uh here's the thing. I I like this movie a lot better than uh Nikita. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Would you agree with that? Yeah. It I I after watching Nikita last week, I was like, oh, this one is better than I remember. I think it's probably better than any of his other movies. And then I watched this one again and I go, okay, I was wrong. I had this one I I, I don't know where my mind took this one, but it went to a place that was worse than it actually was. So it actually, I enjoyed it actually quite a bit. I'm glad to hear that. 
I am really glad. I feel like I, I feel a little bit redeemed. Uh, the Professional is uh, it, it is an English language film, um, although uh, there is an accent aigu in the title, Léon. Although so not, in the, you... not in the actual title sequence. Not in the title sequence. That's true. It's like they it's just said Leon. Leon, which doesn't sound like a it doesn't sound like a glamorous hitman. No, it really doesn't. It sounds like a clerk. <laughs> this is uh, Leon, the professional. It is uh, Jean Renault uh, as the uh, titular character. Uh, he is a cleaner or an assassin, uh, and uh, he is. Uh, he, he plays a really, really interesting uh, character. Um, he works for the Italian uh, mafia in Little Italy, and uh, he cleans up messes, uh, and and uh, uh, ends up being uh, sort of a sort of a Batman character for the mafia. And uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there is this yeah. mystique about him, uh, but we experience uh, Leon from. Um, you know, from a, a much more sort of intimate perspective uh, in, in our relationship with the character. We don't, uh, you know, we see the action sequences and the cleaning sequences that are, well, we'll talk about kind of how those are handled uh, shortly, but, you know, what we get, the, the relationship we build with Leon is um, one that, that gives us this, this image of him being a very simple, a simple person, uh, if not a simpleton. Uh, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Simple, almost to the point of being a simpleton. Yes. Uh, he has other people handling his money. He has other people handling his weapons. And when he is confronted by this 12-year-old Natalie Portman, uh, uh, playing the character of Matilda, who has just lost her family in what they both witness as a uh, uh, massive uh, assassination in a gun or in a drug uh, disagreement, um, he is confronted with this this very adult uh, situation that challenges his otherwise quite youthful sort of cognitive processing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I find that really interesting. Uh, Leon, I, I kept seeing these sort of parallels with Leon and Driver. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, that's, that's actually a really good parallel. It's very much the same sort of person. I mean, uh, uh, the type of person. The yeah. type of person, yeah. This was, I mean, when we talked about Driver from the the, the film Drive, uh, Ryan Gosling's character, it was that same sort of thing where you have this person who exists in this world in which they are exquisitely well-equipped to do one thing, whether it's drive in extreme circumstances or clean up and kill people. Like, that's right. that's Leon's life. It's all he does, and he does so with uh, incredible efficiency. And... This is him being challenged in a way that not only shakes up his personal sort of handling of life and, and his daily sort of um, processes and all the accommodations that he has brought into his life uh, to actually handle living uh, and, uh, and force him into this sort of new place. I, I think in, you know, I think Jean Reno, first of all, uh, handles this uh, really well. I, I really like the way he... Um, uh, the way he plays this character. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's, um, uh, I'm not sure if that's him being an exceptionally talented actor. I don't. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with you. It's, it's uh, the role, the design of the role doesn't give him a whole lot to do other than just kind of be present in a very quiet way. Right. Yeah, and so it's not like he's doing, you know, what Gary Oldman does in this film, which is a complete 180. You know, he his role is very simple, very quiet, and you're right. I don't think he had to put a lot out there to bring it out. And But, you know, I, I thought he did a great job with it, and it's obviously been a mark uh, for him that's gotten him a lot of attention and a lot of other roles. Well, that's what I was going to say. Uh, you know, he sets, and, and I think this really is the, you know, maybe this is, I, I spoke incorrectly, because maybe the, the artistry here of, of his performance is that he sets and maintains the emotional sort of character baseline for this film. And around him and around his sort of simple reactions to extreme circumstances, whether it's in his apartment or in the, the multitude of apartments that he and Matilda sort of explore, uh, to 
to the, you know, sort of the action sequences, um, what he is doing is providing this really stable baseline for these other characters to fling themselves around. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even, you know, uh, Matilda and, and Portman's portrayal of Matilda is this, you know, wonderfully sort of spazzy, way too uh, advanced for her age uh, girl of 12 that is that who who declares that she wants to be a cleaner, too. She wants to follow in his footsteps and and uh, uh, and and he gets to deal with this. And as you say, uh, Gary Oldman uh, is in every way the opposite of of leon in this and provides the the sort of uh the baseline for the extreme yeah yeah he really does uh it's it's um yeah in every way that leon is a um almost of a young mind even though like he says actually he has that great line later um in the film where She's talking about how she's already matured. She just has to get older. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm already old. I just have to, you know, grow up a little right, more. Right, right. Uh, so he already acknowledges he's of this kind of, he has this like uh, nubile, not nubile, but just a young <laughs> mind. And I mean, he's... <laughs> that, that's what they say about that Jean Renault. <laughs> he's a leader of he's... nubile actors. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we see him going and enjoying like and almost like like giddily laughing with glee as he watches Gene Kelly in mm-hmm. It's Always Fair Weather. And just and he he has this connection with the plant who he says is his best friend. It's 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 like he's a child the way that he is managed um, by Danny Aiello's character, um, which is such a kind of a it's one of those relationships that you watch on film and you just want to scream at Leon to like get with it because mm-hmm. he's so being taken and it's frustrating. Um, so all of those things. And then you see Gary Oldman who's, who's so corrupt. So um, I mean, he's, you know, so good at sniffing anything out. I mean, he literally like sniffs out things. It's, you know, it's, it, he's so dark. He's so twisted. He's, uh, so wise to the ways of everything and um and just evil and it's it's it is such a an interesting difference between the two it is uh, it, it is a fascinating um uh, a f- fascinating pairing of these sort of uh kind of equally eccentric energies um not it, to mention the interesting uh notion that Besson is playing within this script that our protagonist, the person we're following, is a an assassin killing people for money, um, technically what you'd usually call a bad guy. And the antagonist is a DEA agent, somebody who typically should be stopping people from, uh, you know, selling drugs and 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 all of that. And uh, um, and he's our bad guy, and he's typically somebody who would be more on the good side. So it's interesting how he has flipped those, and how the DE agent is this corrupt person, while this assassin is this oddly moral character who who you know saves a young girl and and has his code of ethics and everything. It's 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 interesting the way that he's flipped that and he plays with that throughout the film. No, I think you're absolutely right. I'm really glad you said that. It's it, it's sort of because to me, I mean, you you as as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, gosh, he's really um put sort of the the center of gravity in in this film on sort of the scale of good bad, you know. He's the the center of gravity is so bad. Yeah. Uh, that that you know this assassin becomes the 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 good guy and and is looking to sort of speak truth to power against you know the power that exists in this corrupt police department. Yeah. And I think that's I think you're right that's a fascinating notion and I really like the way they do it and and particularly that that uh, you know Jean Reno plays this guy who is ultimately a hero, the very simple sort of thug hero um that makes it that much more interesting to watch uh leading to I I think, um, you know, one of the, uh, it's got to be one of the top five death scenes. Uh, and I, I haven't actually written them out, but I, as I'm watching, uh, the assassination of Leon at the end, uh, I think that was so beautifully, um, beautifully handled first of all, and sort of architected by Besson. Um, and because of the relationship that we've built with Leon through the course of this movie, I think it makes it makes it just plain painful for me to to watch him uh, die. 
yeah. uh, particularly the actual gunshot. I think that is one of the best sort of four seconds in this film. So, I'd say I'd say there's two moments like that that really stand out with me that you really I, I really found myself tipping my hat to Besson and to uh, Thierry Arbogast, the mm-hmm. director of photography. One is that moment at the end that you're talking about that is just so beautiful, the way that we see um, that gunshot happen. It's, mm-hmm. it's so painfully beautiful. Mm-hmm. The other is, is, is um, heartbreakingly beautiful and, and much warmer, obviously, uh, but it's when we're looking at Matilda as she's, uh, you know, she's just realized what's happened Ugh. in her apartment. She comes down to his apartment and we almost see from his point of view or from the point of view of the door as we see her face and it's the same thing it's, it's almost like but it's another thing that they do with the light and and the way that the all of a sudden it it opens up and you you see everything brighten up and you see her relief as he's kind of welcoming her into his place and it's uh it's amazing, but just the way that they shot that, I think, is just—it's really stunning. You know, I, I'm that's—I'm so glad you brought that up. That was another highlight for me of this film, and it, it is one of those perpetual highlights because I find myself getting the same physical response when I, when I watch those scenes. Because in that sequence in particular, you're dealing with the pain of her, uh, of the the uh, sort of goon standing outside of the door of the crime scene where the police have just annihilated her entire family and including her four-year-old um uh, four-year-old little brother and she's standing there we're seeing from leon's perspective or or i should say a a side shot of leon as he's looking through the uh, the peephole through his door and she's standing there and that's kind of the perspective that you get you kind of get this blown out sort of warped um fisheye of of her crying saying over and over please open the door please open the door and when he opens the door the feeling that i get it's like my chest opens up you know yeah. that feeling like you just you're filled with just this light uh, as you see the light kind of cross her face. And I, I think you're absolutely right. That's another uh, sort of half minute of real, real genius. Uh, yeah, filmmaking. It's, it's beautiful. It really is. Now, what's your impression of the action sequences? When we talked about the uh, about the movie last week of Nikita, there was this we I think we both walked away feeling like the, the sort of cartooniness of the action sequences did not play well uh, in this movie. And o- often the movie ended up with sort of this cheeky sense of humor that didn't that that sort of took away from what was otherwise uh, potentially a powerful kind of powerful scene or powerful moment of character development. How do you feel like uh, Leon uh, differed? Or did it? Well, you know, I, I think you have a character like Leon who lives in the shadows and, and the way that he operates. So I, you could almost say classy in his line of work. Um, it, it works, I think, much better because of that. It's, it's not somebody who's so much more fresh in the business or anything. But um, and so I, I think the action scenes for me always work really well. I think they're all designed really well. Uh, the biggest problem I have still is some of the the minor supporting characters in these scenes. They all feel so cliche and silly that I, I I always that's what I end up struggling with in this film is just the silly cliches like the Native American character who's named Tonto, the fat man who's named Fat Man, you know? <laughs> and then you've got like the the crazy. DEA bad guy with the dreads who's checking out the reggae records. I mean, all of those moments take place in some of these action scenes and they all seem a little silly to me. And it seems, uh, and Luc Besson is really attached to this strange uh, in this one it seems more he's attached to kind of this his his own strange perception of what he thinks America is or should be. I mean, even with Danny Aiello playing the Italian uh, the kind of the godfather type of character sitting in the back of the restaurant and everything. I mean, all of it seems so outsider perspective of what, you know, we think the, <laughs> the all of this is like in the U.S. And it, it bugs me a little bit. Um, Although, to be fair, Danny Aiello has spent most of his filmmaking career sitting in some sort of an Italian restaurant. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Isn't that the so. truth? Spike Lee's done it. Uh, right. <laughs> Who hasn't? I'm going to go watch Godfather 2 and Hudson Hawk and, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll just see. All right. Exactly. But no, it's um, so you, you take all of that out and, and I think it. it definitely works still but i mean you know Besson is a guy who who likes his comedy he thinks that you've got to have some of this this crazy stuff in in the film and you know he 
uh, he he likes having comedy, and I guess his I think it's his sense of comedy just never doesn't jive with me because I don't find his stuff funny. And you know, it's like you know having a Native American named Tonto. I'm like, oh come on, man, really? You know, it's funny. <laughs> I I and maybe this is as a result of watching this movie back to back with um, you know with Nikita, but it almost seems to me that the way he goes about casting. He he puts a lot of attention into the stars, right? The anchors. Yeah. And I think uh, in terms of his casting of Jean Reno and Gary Oldman and Natalie Portman and even Danny Aiello, uh, sure. yeah. you know, are they're absolutely spot on. These are incredibly complex, even as simple as Jean Reno's sort of the, the character of Leon is. The portrayal of this character and how he relates to the world is extremely complex, like dealing with sort of the emotional undertones of, of what he deals with, I think is very complex. And they ended up with this triumvirate of these three characters who deliver fantastic performances, in, in yeah. my view, across the board. And the rest of these characters it almost seems like by design are placed in their roles like very simple puzzle pieces. So they fill in these holes that are so obvious, almost by intention that we don't get distracted by any other complexity of life that exists in this story. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like yeah. it's so obvious to be dumb so that we kind of move on. These are this is the team of bad guys and they fill holes these the holes of archetypes or stereotypes I should say. Not even not even so glamorous as being archetypes. Uh but these stereotypes in order to just cast them and move on. They're thugs. Everybody else in this film is a thug. Yeah. And you're supposed to focus on the others. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, to a certain extent I think you're probably right. Um uh, it, I mean, they're it, just, it's, it's strangely, they're all kind of just slightly different than I would expect. Yeah. And I, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but I mean, in, in some cases I think it's fine. Like, you know, uh, Ellen Green and Michael, uh, Badalucho who play, uh, Matilda's parents mm -hmm. are fine. Her sister in her crazy eighties, like spandex workout outfit, <laughs> like yeah. they're, you know, they're, they're I, I guess maybe those... that yeah, there's there's more than just I don't know I, I I like them all I just think they're all slightly off, or or they're so on that they're they are stereotypes. I mean they're they're that's why we find them absurd. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, I and I think I, I and I think it's a little bit sad, especially when you have this uh, you know a character like Michael uh, Baldeluco who uh, you know, I think is a, a terrific actor. And granted, this was you know years earlier in his career but uh i think he is a terrific actor and he's sort of underused in complex roles um which is too bad yeah uh so anyhow let's talk about natalie portman yeah tw 11 years old when she was cast in the part 12 year old 12 years old in the role and uh, you know i think she does a great job she feels like a kid uh, she, you know, she has kind of the sensibilities of a kid, but she has kind of that world, uh, almost a world weariness of somebody who's grown up with a uh, a dad who is, hangs out with, you know, these drug dealing types and who is not, you know, not nice and abusive and is just on the wrong side of the law. You know, she's she captures all of that really well, I think. Yeah, I, I really... Uh... I agree with that. I think it, it's interesting when you see somebody like this, and I kind of put her in that same category as, you know, Haley Joel Osment, uh, these these kids who have the uh, ability to uh, portray something that is so, this sort of, these undercurrents, these emotional undercurrents that are so real without looking kind of absurd and, and caricature-ish. Uh, yeah. I, I did not, in in watching her, I did not feel like she was, um, she was a child actor and that's, that obviously is the point. I felt like she was somebody who, who, you know, had really been, been forced to grow up way, way, way too fast. Well, and then you, you see a scene like the one where she finally, uh, co she comes into the bathroom. She thinking she's going to confront, uh, um, Stansfield, Gary Oldman's character, mm -hmm. and he sneaks up behind her. 
And you've got that amazing confrontation between the two of them where you see this kid who thinks she's so tough, who thinks she's, you know, this trained hitman who's learned from the best, all this sort of stuff. And uh, but you see that childness totally like break down as she's confronted by real evil. And right. I, I find that scene and her performance in that scene just really powerful as she you realizes that she really has no idea what she's doing or yeah. doesn't know how to handle this sort of thing. Yeah, that's, I, you know, it, that's right. And that's, uh, you know, and she just, I, I think she continues the tone of that as she's confronted by, first of all, this sort of horrifying Gary Oldman mm-hmm. uh, and and into, uh, you know, as they're, they're laying out all the guns and she had yeah. in the bag on the table and she just realizes she's totally out of her league, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I think she just crushes it. She really does. Um and not just not just those scenes, but also I think the I, I found it much more fascinating this time and it's still disturbing, but um I found it less disturbing because I could see like the love and the attachment she ends up feeling for Leon uh and to the point where she wants to be his lover and just all this stuff and she wants she's you know, preparing herself for him to be her first, all this sort of stuff, which is so disturbing coming from a twelve year old talking about this this much 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 older man but when you see what she's gone through and the emotional devastation that's been wrought upon her and this one person who's kind to her and helps her it's a much more interesting portrayal of of you know this man dealing with this this child who doesn't understand the emotions that she's feeling and is totally misplacing them into this love relationship and it's really fascinating i think she does that all really well even up to the the you know the the um uh um russian roulette scene and everything mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. you know the way she carries all of that i think is really powerful and uh, and speaks volumes for where she's ended up now well that gets to my my next uh my next thought on this film which is the frustration between the extended version the long version and the director's cut uh, because I think when you watch the director's cut, you are left with a, a, a decidedly different feel about what this movie is about. Now, when you say the director's cut, you mean the... The theatrical cut. The short version? The short okay. version. Okay, sorry. Sure, yeah. I'm trying to stay with Luke. <laughs> right. Dude, staying with Luke. So here's the thing. So we had the original theatrical cut, and it cuts out uh, you know, a, a series of uh, scenes that... I think really direct the flow of the Leon Matilda relationship in a in a kind of a special way that's that that illustrates that this movie may not in fact be about uh this sort of a protege cleaner but really a love story more than anything else it is a love story about a very advanced young young girl and a very simple older man and the fact that the two of them their sort of spirits somehow meet in the middle and so when he gets shot at the end and she is running down the street at the end carrying his plant carrying this last little piece of him uh, you feel the loss not just of a mentor but of a kind of emotional lover that that these two souls sort of came together in in a really weird place in a really weird time and it ends up being sort of hurtful to watch them ripped apart in in such a violent way yeah is that horrible it, no i i think that's true it's it's i think you're right i mean 24 minutes is is what was cut and it's it's kind of sad because this shorter version that he calls the director's cut um, it just tested really, I mean, sorry, the longer version tested really poorly um, before the film came out because people had a really hard time dealing with this odd relationship between this older man and this 12-year-old girl, and they felt uncomfortable. And so that's why he calls the shorter version of the director's cut because he wanted to make it something that was palatable to, mm-hmm. to everybody. Um, however, when you look at it, the longer version and you see this relationship, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's this, this spiritual connection between the two, which, you know, it's, it is horribly awkward between their, their ages. But when you look at it, not as kind of a, a you know, a, a, an intimate love story, but kind of just this platonic, almost daughter, almost sibling. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different, elements to their relationship and just the way that they attach you're right she's much wiser he's much more simple and they do find this this halfway point where they connect and it's 
uh, I mean, I think you're right. I think it is a love story as much as anything else. I think it really is. But the the original or the sort of the director's cut, it's just not so much. You know, I mean, they, they don't. I I really think, you know, that that it changes what this movie is about. And I think, you know, for there there were a number of. Well, I don't know. I think I think the the L.A. response, or maybe it's not just the L.A. response, the American response to a, a movie like this, particularly at the time, uh, um, maybe we just weren't ready for something quite like this. Yeah, that's that's entirely possible. I mean, I don't know what sort of audiences are running out to watch this now, but like we said last week, Besson definitely has his cult following. People really love his films, and they don't think it's a wide audience sort of story though i can't imagine my in-laws watching this and liking it i think they would go more of the creeped out route right right well it's a it's a complex film but i would say as you look at the sort of sequences that were cut right and and check me on this because i i'm sure i've forgotten i know that there is there's a lot of sort of montage stuff around cleaning right around the training of matilda as she yes. learns learns many ropes uh, but we uh, we don't there isn't as much of that as there is the growing up bit. And I think one of the most interesting sequences uh, when Matilda when there there is a sequence in the original where she says, you know, I think I'm in love with you or I think I'm falling in love with you. And he spits up his milk. The, that's right. the the uh, uh, the famous Renault spit take. Right. Uh, and, and so that that sort of takes it to one level. And he he sort of turns her down. He rebuffs her, but in the in the uh, long version, Matilda asks Leon to be her lover, and he refuses. But he refuses, saying, "I wouldn't be a very good lover." Right. Not because it's wrong, but because uh, you get this feeling that he's responding out of shame and yeah. inexperience, uh, and and that I think is sort of pivotal in their character. Uh, in each of their characters, that she would be mature enough to ask a question in that way, and that he would be immature enough to respond in the way he responds, I think is is highly illustrative of the relationship that that Besson created here, and I think it's really uh, magical. It's it it is very unique. You yeah. don't see this in <laughs> this sort of relationship in many films. It's no, it it's really a very doesn't. interesting relationship, and I think it's done uh, as delicately as it needs to be. Um, but as honestly as it should be, and I, I think it's done really well. It's it's done really well to the to the tune of two really damaged people. That's what we sort of have to keep in mind. This is not a normal relationship in a normal place in a normal time. It takes place sort of in this space of damage, and and uh, the the portrayal is the important part, not the reflection on how we necessarily feel about it. Right. Right. So, um, all right. Uh, now is uh, Gary Oldman the uh best villain in cinema history go <laughs> well you know I, he's <laughs> up there there his character norman stansfield has made so many uh best villains lists uh, i mean uh, total film virgin media msn movies empire magazine like everybody has him as as one of the the one of the the worst baddies or best baddies however you want to term it but yeah he's over the top he is, uh, I, you know, I, God, I found something somewhere that would be uh, so great to to just read what they said of him. Uh, I can't find it right now, but um, he, he does it so well. And in every way, he is the, as we've said, the complete opposite of what is going on with uh, Leon's character. Um, and it's clear he enjoys it. I mean, he, Gary Oldman plays it to a T. I mean, and he has a, a great time doing it. He certainly does. Uh, there is this, I don't know, you almost get this feeling that uh, I, just as as much as Jean Renault sort of sets the stage for a new generation of kind of the silent anti-hero hitman do-gooder, uh, we, what we see with, with Oldman's portrayal is just this series of fantastic spin-off kind of villains that come from him all the way to, you know, I, I think we've, I've seen, uh, some, some great discussion of Heath Ledger, uh, pulling Stansfield for the Joker. Um, mm. and, and, uh, you know, when you look at the sort of character DNA that comes from, uh, the portrayal of Stansfield, it, it 
it's a fascinating sort of tree that kind of blooms out of out of this portrayal. He's just insane. And because of Gary Oldman's strength as an actor, as a performer, he is so believably insane. Yeah. Uh, not just this guy sort of playing on screen. He is he's sweaty and nasty and horrible. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it, he delivers that single word, uh, you know, with such non kind of campy intensity when he screams everyone mm-hmm. at the end of that movie. I think I think that's just uh, it's really appropriately shocking. Yeah. And we know Sarmento's a fan and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge internet meme. I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. It's really funny how that has, uh, is, be- um, but yeah, he's so, and it's not just how evil he is or, or all that stuff, but also just the, the quirky things that he does that just makes him creep you out all the more. Like when he chews down on those pills in yeah. whatever way he's doing it, that is is just so strange the way he curls his head up and then it's almost like he's cracking his own neck while he bites down on the pill and I, I don't fully understand what his what he's really trying to accomplish downright creepy yes downright creepy i think he is um i think he's fantastic and i you know it's interesting to look at his uh you know his work with basson and and i'll be very interested to see how how his sort of maniacal character, um, you know, fits in the film we're talking about next week uh, as we move into The Fifth Element, where he also plays craziness. Um, not, not maybe not to, to quite the uh, sort of evil mania, but, but he, is, uh, he, he is also insane. <laughs> that he is, that he is. I, I think he's got uh, uh, more interesting facial hair in that one, as I recall. I, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this movie. Okay, so uh, so uh, let's see. What else do we have going on with this movie? It did. It actually did uh, pretty darn well. It did. It did. I see that the production budget was $16 million. I see uh, domestically it made a little over $19 million and internationally about $26 million. So worldwide... A little over forty-five million. So yeah, it uh, it did uh, well enough to uh, to keep everyone uh, happy. Keep everyone happy. That's the truth. Uh, yeah, it's ever... interesting that I read about this. <laughs> is after uh, actually, I'm not quite sure what he what Besson did right before uh, Leon, but um, while he was gearing up to do the Fifth Element, actually, he. Um, ended up having a problem with Bruce Willis's schedule. Um, and I, I guess it would have been right out. He actually, he was having a, he was starting to prep the fifth element, ran into an issue with uh, Bruce Willis's schedule and had to postpone it for a little while. And so what he did is like, he took, it's a, according to this, he took like 30 days. He cranked out the script for Leon, went and shot it in about 90 days um, got the movie cranked out and released and everything, and then he was able to move into the fifth element afterward. So this was almost just like a filler material that he came up with on his way to uh, to get the fifth element made. That's really funny. Yeah, there there are. So he did that, and he also did the um, he produced the Gary Oldman film Nil by Mouth, uh, right? And and that came out, I believe, the same year. But that was also in between Leon and the uh, Fifth Element. Uh, along with, uh, let's see what else he did, uh, Cold Moon, which he produced uh, in, immediately after Nikita, and Atlantis, the documentary, which I didn't even know he did. But as you can imagine, Eric Serra did the music. Uh, of course, yeah. of course. You know, I, Eric Serra, uh, uh, <laughs> again, the music doesn't work at all. Um, and then the Sting song kicks in right at I the know. end, which sounded awfully like Eric Serra's music. And I'm like, did Eric Serra just pull from the Sting music or was Sting listening to Eric? What was going on here? But uh, the song, at least it redeemed it a little bit for me. It did, although it was a little bit. I mean, you know. Okay, what was the, what's the name of the song? Uh, that, uh, something of my heart, though. That's not the... That's just the something of my heart. What the, oh, come on. The... <sighs> Oh, this is terrible. Sting uh, the of my heart. The shape. shape the shape, shape of, of my, my heart. heart. There you go. 
So the shape of my heart, I I think that was the um, that was actually the Sting fans actually know that that song is it comes from the Eric Sarah uh, years of the Sting <laughs> catalog. You know, I went from watching Leon to I, I I'm not sure if I just needed more Eric Sarah in my life or what, but I I put on Goldeneye. Because I'm like, was the music really that bad in the James Bond movie? And sure enough, it really was. <laughs> it was truly horrid. I was like, man, he really figured out a way to screw up what shouldn't have been bad. You know, I would I would task you with going back and watching The Big Blue. Have you done this recently? Uh No. I have not. Of course. What, but to listen to more wonderful gems from Eric Serra? Yes. Or to, uh, yes, because to... I'll be darned. I, sit, I watch this movie and I think to myself, I already don't like Eric Serra. And yet, in this movie, paired with like this sort of undersea kind of, I'm on a boat kind of a French feeling, uh, there is some of it. More of, it, of his sort of uh, song stylings of Eric Serra work in the big blue than in any other film that i have seen of where, where in which he is, does a score that was the movie that was like made for him and i'm not saying he hit a home run with that one i'm just saying it was better hmm. you don't buy it uh, you know sure why not <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so this was a this is a great film what do you have to close it out i got i got nothing else to say i love i do have something else to say i really like this movie this movie is an anchor for why i wanted to do a luc besson uh series and uh i'm, I'm glad we did nikita i feel like it builds into where uh to to this film where i feel like more is working than isn't uh and um and i think it's absolutely a a, a great film to have on your uh, movies we like list you know, I, I am glad I went back and watched this again because I I was, for some reason, I was thinking I didn't like this that much. Um, I liked it a lot more than I remembered. And uh, so I'm definitely glad I went and watched it again. It's, uh, it is a really good movie. It's, it still has some quirky Bassanisms, um, but still, I do find it pretty good. Oh, the fun little uh, bit of trivia I was going to throw out, which I, I don't know if it's really that much trivia because it's kind of obvious in the film, but I thought it was a nod to cinema and to Hitchcock that when uh, Leon goes and checks in at the hotel, he checks in under the name MacGuffin. Ah, yes. that I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, and I didn't note that until, uh, until uh, Matilda sells him out and says, he's my lover. To the uh, innkeeper, right, and, and he knocks he on the in. door. It says, "Mr. McGuffin." Right, <laughs> that's fantastic. That is fantastic. It's a it's a great little moment. So, uh, next week we are we are uh, wrapping up our uh, our brief look at Luc Besson with the Fifth Element, nineteen ninety seven. Um, science fiction, full on science fiction. No more of this crime mafia crime drama stuff we're moving into full sci-fi in space and we're going to see if uh, luke besson can uh, uh can pull off sci-fi with can we call it can we call it the sci-fi comedy stylings yeah of luke besson <laughs> yes <laughs> we can these are the sci-fi comic stylings of luke besson and uh starring bruce willis gary oldman and mila mila and uh you know actually uh, we we can't forget i know uh, this is the one redeeming factor of this, of, of this film for you, among what I'm sure will be uh, a couple of others. Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker's in this film. I know you're really looking forward to that. Right? You know, if I can at least use him to bring up Silver Linings Playbook, then uh, there you go. <laughs> Corbin Dallas! Corbin Dallas! Oh, oh, oh. it's I just like wait. fingernails on a chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> all right i hey uh this is uh it's been as always this has been a real slice yes uh, it, it has been a slice of something <laughs> good night andrew hasta la vista i've been podcasting since 2006 in that time i've tried countless hosting platforms but in august 2022 we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. 
and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.